Welcome to the Amber Knight Superhero Podcast with Simo Suahemo. This show is your backstage pass to discussions with world-class influencers in the field of health, nutrition, and high performance. We bring you the selected tips and insights that you can use to upgrade your life and become unstoppable. Ahoy there, fellow superheroes. I am Whoa. here. I am here. Uh, with Ben Greenfield and Ben, can you tell 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 me where we are? Ahoy! Well, you'd think we we're on a pirate ship with that introduction. We're actually on a train. We're on a train from one part of Finland, Helsinki, to another part of Finland uh, that shall remain unnamed because I have no clue where we are going. I just got on the train and was told we're off to a good time. Yeah, we're truly truly off to some some serious backwaters here. Yeah, yeah, somewhere out in the middle of the forest with axe murderers and polar bears. And I don't know what else. Yeah, I, I think they're supposed to be like Viking dudes riding horses, screaming violently with kettlebells yeah. in both hands. Yes, large women in metal bras. The whole, <laughs> the whole, the spiel. whole shebang. Yeah. So you just kicked my ass pretty seriously in our planking, in our planking when we left with the train. Oh yes. So every time I'm, I like to do that to people. Like always, when we're when we're on some type of a public public transport, we we uh, manage to to do some wacky stuff mm. when it comes to exercise. I think you 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 do have a do have a talent of of uh, uh, gaining some extra pairs of eyes when you're when you're riding riding a train or a bus or or a plane or you know it shouldn't shouldn't be odd to, like you and I are standing up right now as we're podcasting on a train and everyone's sitting mostly except for some of the biohackers because there are chairs and it's like there's this there's this social expectation that if there's a chair you must sit in it and uh, I'm one of those guys at you know conferences or in any event really including just like whatever, the doctor's office, right? Where they say, take a seat. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'd prefer to stand. Thank you. And, you know, sometimes I'll drop into like a deep hunter-gatherer-esque squat or yep. whatever. But I mean, even last night, you know, I went to a relatively fancy dinner at the hotel and I didn't sit. I was literally just squatting in the seat. And even the waiter gives you funny looks. But you know what? You, know, you have to define social norms sometimes to, to, I was going to say abnormal, but that's not the correct word. Shall we say super normal? A super normal. I like that word. Also, like just unconventional, just yeah, just, yeah, just yeah, to, to transcend the normal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. I I always feel feel funny because in 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 public situations where where I often take advantage of the chance of of you know like hanging from a bar on 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 say uh, say a, a subway ride or or indeed doing one legged squats on transatlantic flights. To right. me, that's that's you know like just just being human. Right. I mean, even right right here, right, like on these railings on the stairs. We could easily grab this railing, grab the other railing, and do a series of inverted rows. And you you have to look at life through the through the eyes of it being a playground. And there are really good people out there, kind of like pioneering that concept, like uh, Daryl Edwards of the uh, he they call him the Fitness Explorer. You could Google him or uh, Frank Forenschick, who I think wrote the book uh, Primal Play, I believe, uh, or even like even guys like Erwan Lacour, you know, et cetera. This whole concept of natural movement of not necessarily feeling that the only time that you can or should be active is when you're at your 24-hour fitness, right? Exactly, exactly. But did, have, you, have you had any, any, uh, any uh, discussions or breakthroughs about how to help people transcend the social norms and, and just really make the world their playground? You have to not really worry about what people think of you, and that's really hard. Like, that's really hard. So I have an advantage. I was homeschooled from K through 12, so I grew up as a freak, right? Like, I was, I, and I'm, I'm not joking, like, I was the odd man out, right? Right. And so for me, thinking outside the box, being that person who's like, whatever, 
you know, standing up at the back of the airplane, not doing a handful of squats, but literally like at the back of the airplane for 20 minutes, you know, doing a workout <laughs> like that kind of thing. Obviously, if everybody did that, the world would be a cluster because everybody would be on the airplane <laughs> doing squats and stuff. But think about it this way. Maybe if everybody started doing things like that, the airplanes would begin like having perhaps like biomechanically favorable seats and, you know, like special like, you know, airport gyms and like things that allowed people to really tap into into fitness. So you almost have to like spark change in some ways by defying these social norms. Like the last conference I spoke at, I had everybody during the whole 45 minute presentation, uh -huh. they could do anything but sit. They could right? do anything but and sit. And it was crazy. Like people were like, well, what do we do? Uh, stand? And I'm like, lunge, kneel, stand, squat. Jumping jack, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever you, you like. Want. You know, dude. Um, really, the best one is is that you know the the you know the National Geographic uh, type of squatting pose that you see the the guys doing over the fire as they're you know preparing their stewed rabbit or whatever you know just kind of <laughs> down in that squat that the dump in the woods pose. But ultimately, yeah, um, you have to not worry what other people think about you to answer your question, and that is something that I can't say I'm an expert in learning how to do. You just have to like start doing it and realize that you're your own worst critic. You think everybody's looking at you. Most of them aren't. And the people that are looking at you, watching you exercise, you know what? Think of that as a way for you to inspire them to move. Yeah. So, and I think that this is something that kids have built into them. You know, like ever, ever, ever since they ever since they weren't weren't to uh, learn to walk, crawl, do whatever, they just they just don't 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 give. They, they just don't give a damn about the societal norms. Right. You watch a kid. You watch a kid walk into a hotel room. What are they going to do? They're, they're like. They're jumping from one bed to the other bed. They're swinging the pillows around. Exactly. They're doing like little crawls underneath the coffee table. Yeah. Right? And then they're running up and down the halls. And it's like, yeah, again, the world would be a cluster if, if people were doing that completely out of control. But at the same time, you need to embrace some of the world with that childlike wonder that the world is a playground. You know? Yeah, exactly. Somewhere along the way, we, we have this tendency of beating that away from children, just, you know, like just imposing the societal norms on them. I heard about this, this uh, German concept of of an outdoor kindergarten where the kids literally spend all year round outdoors. You know, like in the morning, the parents parents yeah. drop them off. They they walk into the woods. They have yeah. you know like all these all these uh play playgroundy things, but it's all built into the woods. Uh, they go to the bathroom. They nap in the woods uh, under these canopies or or, or tents. Yeah. Man, that that resembles something that I had the privilege of of taking part in as a kid. You have to sign the uh, sign that if my child gets eaten by a bear contract when you, when you <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, it's a it's a good idea. I think that there are advantages and disadvantages. The advantages are obvious. We just got done talking about them right now, and and there's there's others, right? Fresh air and negative ions and like a grounding and earthing effect from being in touch with the planet Earth and all the phenols that you're getting from breathing in the planet air and you know all, all those things. Even the just the adjustment in your circadian biology, your sleep wake cycles by being exposed to natural light during the day rather than like LED or fluorescent light, but. You also need to make sure that you're raising children who know how to function in a modern world. I mean, my approach to that is like my kids go to private school. Uh, they used to be homeschooled. I started them up at a private school. And like my philosophy is that when they walk in the door from school, that's when my job begins, right? It's right. not like they went to school and they're all done for the day and I have no obligations because the teachers are there doing their job. No, I mean, the, the kids have great access to, you know, a campus and forest and walking and hiking and stuff like that. But... Uh, it's it's one of those deals where when they get home, we can do like shooting the bow, wilderness survival, making fires, like all the stuff they're not learning in school. But at school, they're actually learning how to be factory workers, how to play well with others, how to function indoors, how to use a computer. I mean, like, I think you need a little bit of both. And I, I have, you know, there's there's outdoor schools in the U.S. too, like forest kindergartens and stuff like that. And I respect it. I just think you need 
you do need some balance. I don't want people to think that I'm just a fan of like putting your child in, in like a caveman, you know, leopard dotted <laughs> like cloak and sending them off into the wilderness to school. I think you need, you need a little bit of balance. Right. Yeah. Much of, much of that, much of that comes down to the fact that uh, us parents uh, don't necessarily, don't necessarily have the capability of, of, of seeing the world through the, through the eyes of our children. Yeah. But, but what I'm, what I'm seeing uh, modern parents becoming more and more aware of the fact that if we don't teach our children to have or or let our children experience a healthy relationship to nature, it'll be very hard to instill that later on in life. So how right. how's it been for you? Like, did you did you always have this kind of a relationship with with the outdoors, with nature? Have yeah, have access to that? Yeah, I did. I mean, my mom my mom is from uh, Detroit. My dad's from Miami. I grew up in like a little bit of a city slicker family. So I've had to teach myself like how to hunt and how to fish and how to do some of those outdoorsy activities. But at the same time, like I mentioned, I was homeschooled. I would finish all my schoolwork by like 11 a.m. and just like go outside and play. So I did a ton of exploration as a kid. Ambronite Superhero Podcast. Be unstoppable. Uh, we lived on six acres kind of out in the country, which meant that because we were out in the country, I could leap the fence and, and just, you know, hike for hours. <laughs> so... Um, That's yeah, I, I, I was privileged, right? I did not grow up in a little cul-de-sac neighborhood and neither are my children. And you don't have to move. You just need to realize that there's wilderness and a blade of grass growing up out of the sidewalk. There is wilderness in the, in the edible dandelions in your backyard that you've been mowing that you could instead make into fantastic tinctures and salads, right? There, there's, there's wilderness everywhere. You just have to learn to recognize it, embrace it and step out and plan it no matter where you are. And if you're indoors, then you simply treat that as more of just like a um, a moving gym, right? Like right. the strain that we're on. Exactly, exactly. Now we're uh, we we just wrapped up the uh, uh, the uh, official official portion official uh, day of Biohacker Summit in Helsinki, and yeah. uh, you gave an you gave an excellent talk on on a on a uh, comparing uh, the biohacking ethic, the biohacking way of looking at the world with primal. And uh, yeah. and uh, threw in uh, the 2.0 aspect. So what is what does that stand for for you? What does that mean? It 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 simply comes down to this. When you look at let, let's use an example to make this more concrete. You look at something like say uh, nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, also known as NAD injections that people are getting at different clinics. You know, in the U.S., for example, to you know increase lifespan and decrease the rate at which telomeres shorten and you know do all these these fancy things they're spending lots of money to do you can get that same stuff from from like a south american tea called powdy arcobark tea you know powdy no, arcobark how do you spell that uh, p a u d a r c o okay and uh, you don't have to inject needles into your right butt cheek or spend like $8000 <laughs> at some anti-aging clinic and that would be an example of well are you going to do the biohack or are you perhaps going to do the ancestral method and, and steep some tea and actually to activate it you do need to to like put it in a blender or mortar and pestle or whatever with some some sunflower less than or some other form of fat to right. make it a little bit lipid soluble or, or coconut oil or whatever. But still, I mean, that, that's what our ancestors would have done to make something more. You know, it's the same concept as, as picking chaga off a tree like we did last year when I was here and, yeah. you know, do it, boiling it in water and having the water as tea and then taking the leftover and putting that in alcohol, you know, in a mason jar for a couple of weeks and then double extraction that and yeah. extracting it. Like, like all these things are things our ancestors would have done, but, you know, a, a lot of people would rather what, you know, whatever get the injection or say like do the fancy electro stimulation on their quadriceps rather than maybe just like trying to see if you could do a two minute wall squat. Like there's all sorts of things that you can do that, uh, that achieve the same thing as like modern biohacking without modern biohacking. And the other thing that you need to be careful of, of course, is 
whether or not something's actually healthy for you, right? You look at like uh, TDCS, uh, you know, a transcranial direct stimulation of the head, uh, a ton of long-term research behind that for like helping out with your motor cortex and like cerebral blood flow and stuff like that. Yeah. But you can get a lot of the same things with like, you know, Kundalini yoga, right? Where you're just like moving and breathing and and doing something with just your body, you know, no, uh, no fancy, um, electronic magnetic shocking to the head required. Yeah. And, and the jury is still out for, for the long-term effects of, of therapies like that. A lot that. of stuff. A lot of stuff. Yeah. That, that I admittedly do, right? Like I guinea pig a ton of this stuff and I see what works and I see what doesn't. I do TDCS and I do also do Kundalini yoga and I like to compare like, you know, and, and, and I honestly have one foot in the ancestral living camp and one foot in the biohacking camp, uh, because part of my job really is to like research a lot of these biohacks and try them out and getting picked in and see what works and see what doesn't. And I'm headed to Florida next week to get sound waves, uh, basically like blasted into my gonads <laughs> to increase nitric oxide production in, in like your, your reproductive organs. And, um, yeah, like my, my, uh, uh, pardon, pardon the expression balls might fall off, <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I do put myself out there a little bit. Yeah. So I'm not, um, you know, I, I want to say that. So I don't appear to be a hypocrite, right? Like the, Oh, the guy who says you're not supposed to do electrostimulation is doing electrostimulation. I'm just saying, consider the natural options and learn how to do the natural options and then progress to the biohacks. So when you, for example, uh, compare your, uh, compare the effects of your Kundalini practice to your, uh, EDCS practice how what 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 have Different. you uh, by, what, what, by, have, what have you noticed so far yeah, what have the, your findings been because the main this is are, truly interesting the main kind of thing, the contrast here yeah so i mean like tdcs primarily really the reason to use it is it primes the motor cortex and based on research done by dr samuel marcora it decreases your rating of perceived exertion and increases your pain threshold during exercise it also can increase in blood flow to the brain um if you were to say warm up with a whole bunch of kundalini yoga blow off some carbon dioxide get some cerebral blood flow you feel really good when you're exercising, but the, but the distinct difference is that the former is a shortcut. I can do the former, the biohack, the headband while I'm driving, or let's say I'm driving to the gym, right? Because I want to do squats and deadlifts and stuff. You can literally um, do it anywhere. And it, yeah. So a lot of biohacks, they're convenient because they're shortcuts, right? They just take less time and less energy. So you're saving time. And, and so you, you have to weigh it with, with that in mind too. It's like, well, if this is going to save time for me to perhaps do whatever, let, let's say that it's a, it's a goal of yours to get really, really strong in a short period of time. Well, maybe Kundalini yoga does make you strong, but driving to the gym and doing the headband therapy on your way to the gym kind of like aligns with your goals of spending as much time as possible getting strong rather than doing like whatever, five or 10 minutes of yoga and having two extra sets of squats that you can't do. Right. So it really depends on what your goals are. Um, and in most cases, the biohacks are just like time shortcuts. But again, I think people should learn how to do the natural thing first. Yeah. Otherwise, you don't really have an anchor point, I guess. I, right. I guess it gets a lot about defining the baseline where you can go with many ancestral methods, with uh, the modern research we have in, in, in uh, neuroscience or cognition sciences applied uh, through ancient practices like meditation or, or indeed Kundalini. Right. And, and not, you know, I, I don't want to be like overly self-promotional, but I mean, you know, follow guys like me, right, who, who are testing both and coming back and giving you stories of, of what works and what doesn't and what the research is. You don't have to go dive into PubMed. You don't have to subscribe to whatever, the, the Journal of the American Medical Association or something like that. You don't have to go get a degree in physiology. You know, there are people out there, you know, a lot of people who spoke at the Biohacker Summit, you know, other people on this train, uh, you know, like Dr. Ronda Patrick and Ryan Muncy. <laughs> Ryan Muncy is just grinning at us from, from, yeah. from above yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, Ryan from Natural Stacks. Um, and, and you can use those type of folks to distill the information down for you so you don't have to go and like become a 
scientists, you just need to find the trustworthy people in in this sector that are combining biohacking with natural living. Exactly. And the thing that I really love about the biohacking community is that that you don't really have to be the number one guinea pig in each and every field. You can you can really really just go and pick and 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 uh, learn from learn from a plenty of people who are actually yeah. actually uh, doing or or taking the risks uh, for you in a in a in a way yeah. uh, that you can you can actually really mitigate uh, against going overboard in your yeah. in your own experience. Yeah, absolutely. So, are there any experience, Ben? I, I know you're you're a you're a hardcore guy, uh, willing to dive in head first into into many uh, weird practices and uh, and uh, yeah. uh, taking taking those risks as well. So, so can you tell me about an experiment lately that that didn't go as planned that you would have uh, rather, in retrospect, not uh, have done? Yeah, the the what have I stuck in my butt lately question. Um, <laughs> I uh, guess that, so. That, that if we want to go would, there, would not have wanted to do. Oh, geez. Um, you know, there's some evidence that, that, uh, for example, let's say like marijuana can cause cardiac myopathies and issues with, with heart rate. So, uh, I strapped on a heart rate variability monitor, uh, which takes heart rate and interbeat variation between heart rates. Yep. And I wanted to see what happened to my nervous system and to my heart rate, uh, with consumption of hundred milligrams of, of, uh, THC, which is a relatively hefty dose of marijuana. Hundred hundred milligrams. That's a hefty dose. Yeah, and 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 sure enough, I mean the heart rate was going from seventy to fifty to sixty to forty five. You know, as I lay there in bed in a you know <laughs> slight slight stupor, uh, heart rate variability, um, interestingly enough, stayed pretty high. So it didn't seem to be deleteriously affecting the nervous system as much as the uh, the cardiovascular system. Which you know ultimately all that all that really tells me is well, gosh, if we were going to mix this with exercise or extreme stress, it's probably not a good idea. Because there's there's some potential for cardiac myopathy with with heavy use of something like that. Uh, yeah, you know, and 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 sure, I would say you know that that experiment turned out well, but it did kind of suck because I was just like out of commission for like 36 hours, you know, more or less high, like too high, <laughs> like in bed with my heart racing. So Not, it was a one-time administration of 100 milligrams of CBD on THC. Uh, on THC. Yeah. And uh and uh that caused you to be. Yeah, pretty, pretty much, pretty much, uh, pretty much out of the game for I tried, three, yeah. six, 36 yeah. hours. You said, I try, yeah, I tried it with with CBD as well, and and for that, I just like slept like a baby for like 15 hours and woke right. up. So yeah, the th and that didn't cause any any cardio myopathy issues. So I get, I, th I think it's just the THC. Okay, that causes that. Um, what would be another example um of, of a biohack gone awry? Another 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 uh, tip for our listeners not to try at home at these dosages at least. Uh, I mean, like one pretty obvious example, but like I do a lot of cold thermogenesis, cold water swimming. I wanted to see like what what the extreme limits are. So I got in the the river in the winter in Washington, and you know we're talking you know thirty four degrees ish Fahrenheit, and just Fresh stayed enough. in there as long as I could. You know, I stayed in there for about eighteen minutes. Eighteen minutes in Florida water. Yeah, got out. Uh, could could barely get out. Couldn't drive my car home. Um, crap my pants. Literally, like completely lost bowel control. Um, wow. You know, and and it took four or five hours to warm me up. You know, warm showers, warm bath, jumping jacks, all that stuff. But you know, I wanted to kind of test, like you know, because they say like hypothermia sets in about twenty minutes. But I want to see what would happen, like my cognitive performance, my productivity, you know, my skin, all that kind of stuff. But it, you know, ultimately, I was just you know, kind of like the THC experiment, just kind of useless. You know, kind of killed my day. Yeah, I mean, little things like that. But honestly, like. I know what people are thinking. Like, well, who the hell is going to overdose on like 100 milligrams of THC and go jump in a river for 18 <laughs> minutes? Like, there, I can't say that there's anything like, like that's, you know, my, like, I, I can't say like I've done electrostimulation according to the manual on the electrostimulation device and experienced skin burns or like any, anything like that. Like, in most cases, unless you're way overdoing things, I personally haven't had any like super deleterious reactions unless I'm overdosing or overdoing 
Yeah, I think one of, one of the things here uh, to keep in mind is that you have a vast experience to draw from when you're when you're designing these, even even these experiments that kind of uh, go go well, yeah, go on the edge. Me, go like, yeah, I, I work with a lot of like you know CEOs and soccer moms and people from all over the world who I consult and help with their exercise plans and everything. And I mean, yeah, certainly if I were you know I can tell somebody, okay, well you know take a five minute cold shower, don't take an eighteen minute cold shower, you know. I, I, <laughs> but yeah, or or dip into a river. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At the uh, at the uh, Biohacking Conference, we had a. I th- I feel that there there's been a been a big theme here, uh, in with memory cognition, uh, uh-huh. memory hacking. Uh, was was there was there anything in particular that was uh, particularly interesting to you or surprising to you at this year's this year's conference, this year's edition? Ambronite Superhero Podcast: Live Life to the Fullest. We had mm. uh, Dr. Julia Shaw talking about mm-hmm. memory hacking, how our memories yeah. are in our own. Yeah, yeah. I didn't watch any of those talks. I was too busy networking, chatting with people, and looking at all the cool vendors and stuff. So I didn't get a chance to to see any of the uh, any of the the memory based talks. Um, you know, so I can only speak from my own personal standpoint. You know, I, I do have the N one app on my phone. And speaking of standing and you know not not sitting when you're at line at the whatever the to renew your driver's license or to, to like <laughs> at the grocery store, like I'll pull that out and just do like a little bit of N1. It's, it's one of the, the few apps or brain training games out there that has been shown to improve your memory recall. Um, so I, I mean, I got, I'm, I'm a fan of that. I'm a fan of N1 feedback. I'm a fan of doing things to increase neuroplasticity, right? Like, uh, you know, playing an instrument is, is one of the more perfect examples. I even have a little ocarina back up in my bag, like a little legend of Zelda. All right. Wind instrument that you can breathe into and play little songs into Ocarina um, of Time, I think the Zelda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and honestly, there are even things like uh, you know they've even shown like psilocybin can increase neuroplasticity and and assist with memory. And some of my most vivid memories of like nature excursions and hikes and stuff were actually on like psilocybin mushrooms, and it's really interesting. It's just like burns it in your memory and color. So yeah. yeah, like memory is really fascinating. I didn't actually see any of those talks though, but I'm constantly aware of the fact that the more that you can kind of make your brain a little bit confused every once in a while in terms of, of sparking memory. Um, it, it helps tremendously with like neuronal connections and, and overall cognitive, um, cognitive anti-aging, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, it, sometimes I feel like there's even this kind of a, this kind of a hormetic effect that when we, when we, uh, uh, force our brain to go through stimuli that it doesn't normally go through, you'll, you'll have this refreshed moment. You'll, you'll almost as if you had a blank slate. Yeah, yeah to, ab- absolutely. I mean, I, I do neuro, feedback EEG based training. I, I guess this is a perfect example of a biohack gone awry. This is where you hook electrodes up to your head and you like it detects your brain waves and you do like things like fly a spaceship with your brain. And every time that you go into like stressful beta brainwave production, the spaceship will stop flying and stop producing sound and the music fades and it subconsciously trains your brain to quit producing all those stressful beta brain waves and to, for example, shift into alpha brainwave production. You can adjust using the software the reward frequencies that you want to be rewarded at for certain activities that you do and you can overdo it like i i did it once for almost an hour because one of the things that you can do is you can overlay like a tv show like let's say like whatever like master chef right and right. so i could watch master chef on <laughs> well well hooked up and like like gordon ramsay will all of a sudden like begin to fade and his voice gets quiet and you're like uh, and it pushes your brain into alpha brainwave production but i mean you you can not not um literally but figuratively like fry your brain doing too much of it and I was just like exhausted the rest of the day because you're supposed to go 20 to 30 minutes. 20 to 30 each, minutes. With each session, yeah. yeah. It's kind of similar to like Bulletproof uh, Dave Asprey's uh, uh, 40 Years of Zen type of protocol, except it's like that on steroids. You know, for, for the, I've been doing it for, for three months now. 
And it's really, really good at decreasing distractibility and increasing focus and stuff like that. But what was yeah, your you, typical you protocol? What would your typical protocol uh, when you're not overdosing on that and yeah. combining that with with a uh, with a uh, Gordon Ramsay? Yeah. Uh, what would your typical typical routine uh, using using that technique work uh, look like for the last three months? Uh, uh, Twenty to thirty minutes every day to minutes. every other day, targeting different frequencies. Whether I want to target like not only more, alpha waves, more more rapid sleep onset. If you want to like target tar target theta waves, um, increased alpha brainwave production. You could increase a little bit of beta if you need like a wakefulness effect. You know if you. If you need a little bit of that, that hormetic stress. But um, yeah, the, the neurofeedback-based EEG is really interesting. I went down to the Peak Brain Institute in Los Angeles to kind of like learn how to do it. And then they send me home with all the, the laptops and the little electrodes that you attach to your head and stuff like that. And it's really interesting. It's, it's, uh, I've noticed some pretty profound differences in, in, again, you know, attention, decreased distractibility, focus, verbal fluency, a, a lot of the things you'd expect to get from like a, a smart drug or a nootropic, but um, in a little bit more permanent manner because, you, you know, you don't, it's not like, in and out of your bloodstream, it's permanently affecting your brain. So you mentioned uh, Forty Years of Zen as a comparison to this this type of protocol, uh, Forty Years of Zen by by Dave Asprey. I also 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 talked to a couple of couple of uh, other people at the conference who had similar experiences. Uh, one of them was uh, uh, Matthias Ribbing, who is the uh, memory champion from Sweden, who was also talking at the conference. And uh, the question I want to ask you is: Have you met? Have you noticed during these three months that you've been? You've been uh, practicing this and, and concentrating on generating, for example, alpha brainwaves or, or, or in the morning, beta brainwaves. H have these uh, had any uh, lasting effects on your, on your uh, daily capability of being focused or being conscious in the moment or, or even having these micro meditation moments that I remember you talking about? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what athletes call being in the zone. Exactly. Right? And that, that is just alpha brainwave production. I mean, and then... And yeah, I mean, not not to be too short and sweet in my answer to your question, but but yes, you know, I'm not I'm not memorizing decks of cards or anything like that because that's. <laughs> but it would be interesting to you know see if if I were able to do it faster, you know, after doing a session. Um, but but ultimately, I mean, I I like the effects. I did a, a an initial QEEG uh, brain mapping to see areas of the of the brain that have had uh, issues in terms of like all the concussions and bike crashes and traumatic brain injuries and all the stuff that that I've had just being an active guy. And this is basically rewiring the brain to 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 be able to produce alpha waves in in a more balanced way and i'll go back for a follow-up qeeg next month in la and be able to actually see the difference in terms of the brain mapping so everything right now is is qualitative uh or not directly quantitative in terms of me like doing a follow-up qeeg but i'm really looking forward to like you know writing a blog post and publishing uh you know the the, the pre and post results so yeah exciting exciting I feel like there there are just so many methods being discovered how to increase neuroplasticity, as you said, also neuro regeneration. Yeah. To to repair much of that damage that active people have. Yeah. And uh, let's face it, this this is it's it, it, you don't have to be an NFL player to to suffer a concussion or, yeah. or to end up in situations where where you really do some harm. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. Exciting. So, uh, looking looking at uh, looking at what we're uh, expecting from the next from the next few days from from today and and tomorrow from from this uh, this excursion that we're doing into the wild, we're definitely going to be doing some smoke sauna again. We're going to do some serious cold exposure, right? So, uh, we, cold exposure was also something that was that was discussed in the conference. Yeah, and I know you're a pretty hardcore fan and uh, and uh, routined cold exposure so to speak we already talked about the uh the experiment gone awry but can yeah. you tell us a, like, tell us a little about your your routine 
yeah. uh, when it comes to, yeah. to uh, alter- alternating hot and cold exposure. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on this one, and then, and then I'll probably have to get back to my, my, my writing, blog, writing Monday's blog post, which I'm under pressure to do on the train right now. <laughs> so, um, so here's the deal. Uh, cold thermogenesis uh, it, it achieves a, a host of different physiological benefits that I've done a podcast on with actually uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who's on this train right now. Yeah, Dr. Uh, Dr. Dr. Patrick is also on this train. It's an amazing train right now. Amazing train. Increases nitric oxide production, increases uh, tolerance to stress, increases the production of adiponectin and irisin, which are involved with fat loss, increases the conversion of like brown fat or I'm sorry, white fat, like metabolically inactive storage fat into metabolically active heat generating brown fat. Um, all sorts of benefits and it, it increases the tone of your vagus nerve too, which is one of the more important nerves in your body. It snakes through your entire body and innervates, um, you know, uh, digestive organs and the heart and feeds from the gut to the brain. And by uh, stimulating and, and increasing the tone of your vagus nerve, you become better at, at little things that would surprise you, like, um, like handling stress or, falling asleep more quickly at night. And so there's, there's all sorts of really cool benefits that go way above and beyond just like burning more calories because I'm so freaking cold. And, you know, when you combine that with all the benefits of heat, right, like vasodilation and, you know, movement of blood, movement of lymph, um, even like vibration of cells, uh, production of heat shock proteins, you get a really cool one-two combo. Um, so I'm a huge fan. Like I do, I do sauna and cold almost every day. Yeah, and you guys have some really nice cold water here in Finland. That is correct. That is correct. Uh, the thing that most surprised me was, uh, in in addition to the uh, to the benefits that you just mentioned, was was the uh, the uh, happiness effect of sauna. Yeah. In in, uh, in uh, making our making our brain more receptive to the endorphins. Right. Which was, which was uh, very very yeah. exciting to hear because that's yeah. something that I've been experiencing ever since I was a kid. Yeah. Growing up in this culture, but having, right. having the scientific evidence to back it up, it's, right. uh, it's pretty amazing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You don't. You don't. You don't have to necessarily get a get plowed and go run around and do stupid things to uh, to get an endorphin release or to have a good time. You can just go sit in a sauna. Exactly. And that's exactly what we're here to do tonight. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you finish that finish that uh, that uh, writing task you had. And uh, signing off from the crazy train. Always a pleasure having you on the show. The ben. crazy train. I like it. What's the What's the Ozzy Osbourne song? Yeah. Boom. Signing off from the Superhero Podcast. Later. Thanks, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Amber Knight Superhero Podcast. Please check out the links, show notes, and other episodes at ambronite.com slash podcast. That's A-M-B-R-O-N-I-T-E dot com slash podcast. Thanks again, and catch you in the next episode.